Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back with us this week as we try to answer some more of your questions about the Bible. That's what we do on this program. We want people to know more about the Bible and uh, hopefully develop a habit of studying their Bible themselves. Uh, so we found a good way to do that is just let the viewing audience ask questions, uh, anything about the Bible or anything about real life that you wonder what the Bible might have to say about it. We'll try to find an answer for you. Let me introduce my partner here, Toby Levering. Hi, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're back with us and all studied up and ready to go. Uh, well, we start with a question for our viewers and see if they know a little bit about uh, some trivia in the Bible. Today's question is, how old was Jesus when he started his ministry? And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you know how old Jesus was when he went out and started preaching, quit carpentering and uh, started preaching. Uh, Toby, looks like you drew the first question today, so get us started. I do. A viewer asked the question, 1 Corinthians 5 and uh, verse 9 and chapter 5 verse 10 seem contradictory. All right, well, to answer this question uh, best, we must look at the text, and that's what we always try to do on this program, but I believe we have this one on the screen, so let's read it together. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. And so he's kind of... Uh, we're looking at the subject of sexual immorality, and this was a big problem. Uh, the, the book of 1 Corinthians was written to the church, the group of people who were believers in Christ at Corinth, which was a city, and he is making the case there that for them to be Christians doesn't mean they can't associate with people of the world. In fact, that's the only way... You know, that's the people God loves and He wants them, but He doesn't want them to come to Christ and act as the world does. And this is kind of the uh, situation all churches are in, that when you come to Christ, you become a new creation and things begin to change in your life. And so Christians and the churches that they're a part of ought to look different from the world around them. Now that doesn't mean that the world uh, changes, it, it goes on as it always has. Um, a simple phrase that you may have heard is to be in the world but not of the world. And that means simply that Christians have a uh, renewed, regenerated, uh, new life in Christ. And we don't live as the world does. And specifically in the area of sexual immorality, uh, which was uh, the Greek word pornea, was simply meant, uh, was kind of an umbrella term used from everything from adultery, fornication, homosexuality, uh, all sorts of sexual sin were kind of lumped under this. And he's simply saying that's not the type of behavior that Christians partake in because that's immoral. That's against the plan of God. And so he's saying Christians shouldn't act this way. 
way. We know the world still does, but we're called out, which is what the word church means. So hope that uh, helps explain that just a little bit. Right. The church is, I've already said church is supposed to be in the world, but if you get the world in the church, yep, then you're that's in trouble. That's a problem. So that <laughs> and it was even, a big problem at Corinth, by yeah. the way. So. And some of them refused to stop their sexual immorality. And yep. Paul had a system for talking to them and explaining that, no, you can't be a Christian if you right. gonna refuse to repent and all that. So, good explanation there. Yep. All right. My viewer wants to know about uh, crucifixes. Is the Catholic Church, in the Catholic Church, there's always a crucifix with Jesus on the cross. Uh, is this just a Catholic belief? Well, I assume they're asking, is it just in Catholic churches that you find crucifixes? Uh, I'm not sure about that. I think I'm sure you could find a crucifix in some other churches somewhere. I haven't, you'd have to probably look pretty hard, but I'm sure somebody's got, got one someplace. Uh, more likely in what we lump as Protestant churches, you probably find a cross itself uh, without Jesus on it. The difference between a crucifix and just a plain cross. Uh, and I think there's a little side point there, and I'm not sure anybody set out to practice this on purpose, uh, but Catholic doctrine and Catholic teaching uh, seems to focus, to me at least, a little more on the suffering of Jesus on the cross. Uh, for their salvation. They talk about him on the cross and that the crucifix pictures him in his suffering. Whereas Protestants and most others uh, seem to focus a little more on, more on the empty cross, the, the resurrection, the empty cross and the empty tomb. Uh, so maybe that has something to do with why you find crucifixes most commonly in Catholic churches and just plain crosses in most other Christian churches. Uh, I think the verse that applies and probably determines how different denominations ended up with either crucifixes or crosses uh, is Exodus 20. Uh, Exodus 20 verses 4 and 5. Let's look at that together. Now this is Old Testament, uh, but this is one of the Ten Commandments. And God said, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. All right, so God said there in one of the Ten Commandments, don't make images of things and worship them. Now, he was talking about uh, making something besides him, because the other commandment is, have no other gods before me. But this one is about idols and images and not trying to picture something and then worship it. And so a lot of people take it very seriously and don't believe you should make an image even uh, of Jesus, perhaps. Uh, we don't know what he looked like, so any picture of him or crucifix or painting uh, is a man's made idea. And some people take it more seriously than others and don't want any kind of images around of Jesus or God or anything. So I, I think that's where some of it comes from, uh, depending on how you take that verse and how much uh, gravity you give it in today's world. So uh, that's the best I can do on that. Uh, but crucifixes are generally within Catholic churches. All right, you got one, I think. Yes. Uh, you were asked, when did the different races start? Well, the biblical answer to that question is Genesis chapter 2, uh, when God made Adam and Eve. Now, the viewer astutely here supposes that Adam and Eve were probably a certain race or a certain 
color. And how did those two uh, that God created, how do we get all the range of spectrum of skin colors and hair types and eye colors and all of that that we have within the world today? Now, I gave you the Bible answer. I'm going to give you a little bit of biology here, and uh, that's okay. All science is God's truth, so or not all science. But um, anyway, you're going to look on the screen here, and we're going to show you what's called a, a Punnett square. And if you remember any of your high school biology, you could see how you, if you mix two different seeds, you could get a wide variety of combination. And there was a lot of probability weighing that of, of whether these uh, breed these two types together and all the different possible scenarios that could come out of breeding those two. And uh, the same is true within human beings. If you have a, per a perfect genetic combination, I believe they call it a heterozygous, which I had to look that one up, but when you have a perfect combination of the absolute perfect genetic combination, you kind of get the spread of skin color that you see there on the right. And so we have uh, uh, white people and light brown people and very dark people, and th those are all the different races that we see today. So yes, uh, from a biological perspective, certainly possible to have a single pairing of a man and woman and to end up with a wide variety of uh, possible different uh, races. Now, we know, of course, that in Genesis chapter uh, 6, the flood drastically changed the environment that we lived in of the world. It was no longer perfect. It had a lot of changes that had happened within the environment. So there's one effect there that's going to change how we uh, uh, adapted to our environment. And the second is in Genesis chapter 11 in the story of the Tower of Babel when God confuses the languages. And of course there we're going to have pe people grouping together according to similar language and spreading out all over the earth which was what God desired. So we have those three different things working together and that gives us a, a pretty good idea that we could have one couple perfect, perfectly genetically perfect that is, uh, with no mutations and, and no imperfections and you, from that one couple you get the entire group of nations uh, that we see today spread out all over the earth which I believe is as God intended. Um, of course we know that God is not focused on the outward skin color or your genetic traits by any means. He's more concerned with the inward human being and he wants that to be uh, redeemed in Christ. So hope that helps a little bit. I'm sorry for my uh, science experts out there if I mispronounce something or misexplain well, something. I'm sure but. <laughs> some expert will probably correct you. I'm if you sure get that will a happen. Little bit wrong, but the picture was a good picture anyway. <clears throat> Uh, and one thing you said there is interesting to me. The Bible talks about just one race, the human race. Mm -hmm. It, it yep. doesn't talk about all that, what we get concerned about. Yeah, we divide it up a lot more. And science, <laughs> when they look at DNA, uh, DNA is almost exactly all the, the same 99.99999. Yep. <laughs> uh, there's hardly any difference in what we call race and what we see in skin color and all that. Uh, just one human race is yep. what the Bible talks about. The race probably, of Adam. <laughs> probably the way we ought to think about it. Let me take just a moment and uh, invite you to study the Bible with Know Your Bible Study Tools. We've got some uh, materials that we're happy to provide to you absolutely free of charge. Uh, we believe Bible study is a good thing to do and we know a lot of our viewers are serious Bible students and have been for years. 
but we also know we've got a lot of viewers that just haven't got started in Bible study. It's a little intimidating or overwhelming, and uh, we've got some good ways to go about it. This first set of lessons you see on the screen, there are eight lessons in it, and it leads you through a good look at your Bible. It starts off with the real basic facts of the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and uh, you learn a lot about both of those, and then it goes into more topics and uh, uh, subjects that uh, help you understand your Bible. And then once you get through this introductory course uh, about your Bible, we've got some more advanced courses that we're happy to get to you. And uh, You can study the Bible a long time with Know Your Bible Study Tools. Uh, it's well proven over the years we've been on. We've had thousands of folks go through it. And uh, we don't get many complaints. I uh, can't remember hardly any at all. Most people, uh, if they stick with it, which most of them do, uh, tell us how much they enjoyed it and how much they learned. So if you want to study the Bible in your own home, we've got a great way to do it. All we need is your name and address uh, or your phone number. Uh, no, we don't need your phone number. You can call <laughs> on the phone to give us your name and address or log on to the website and give us your name and address, and we'll get it started for you. So that's the way that works. Study the Bible with Know Your Bible Study Tools. All right, I got a question about uh, Je Jehovah and Allah. Uh, Viewer says, Christians believe in Jehovah and Muslims believe in Allah. How can there be more than one God? Well, pretty good question, pretty reasonable question. Uh, and the answer is to a lot of the world why that's easy. There's lots of gods in the world. Uh, but if you're a Bible believer, if you're a believer, a Christian, a, a, a Jew for that matter, uh, the Bible says there's one God. And let me show you that verse or one verse that says that. There are a lot of verses that say that. But Second Samuel 7.22 makes it very clear. You are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you and there is no God beside you. Uh, there is one God of the universe. Uh, he told Moses in the Bible that his name was Jehovah or I am, uh, the great I am, uh, Jehovah, I, I always have been. Uh, different ways of thinking about that, but let's just say it's Jehovah for now. Uh, so, there is no other God. Now, some people say, well, the Muslims, uh, they call him Allah, but he's really the same God. Uh, both monotheistic religions, one God. So, Jews, or Jews, Christians, and Muslims all worship the same one God. Uh, there's some problems with that. There's some real problems with that concept. Number one is the names are different. Uh, God clearly said his name was Jehovah, uh, not Allah. And you studied the derivation of Allah and where it came from. It was basically a moon god that was one of those many gods that some people believe in. And uh, Muhammad picked that as the name for his. Uh, but even beyond that, if you just ignore the name differences, which we can't do, but if you could, you look at the two books of teaching, uh, the Holy Bible and the Koran, and you see what these gods taught. You see what Jehovah taught and you see what Allah uh, advocated, and you see some really major differences. And that makes you conclude that they're not the same God. Just a few very quickly. Uh, this, God said his message, his, the message of Christianity and Jesus uh, should be spread by love, loving people and telling them the truth in love. Uh, Allah said his followers should spread his religion by force. Uh, God said 
his salvation is by grace. Allah's salvation comes by uh, obedience, believing and doing special works, uh, doing enough good works. Uh, heaven as described in the two books is completely different. Uh, the heaven described in the Bible is a spiritual place, a place of uh, rest and uh, being with God and all of that. Uh, the description of heaven in the Quran is almost all about physical things, sensual things, sexual things. Uh, that's how heaven is described. Uh, you look at the uh, description of women and especially the treatment of women that comes from followers of the two books or the two gods, if you will, and you see a huge difference in the world. Everywhere that Christianity goes, uh, the status of women rises. Uh, anywhere that the followers of Allah go, the status of women uh, is demeaned. So uh, very, very different teachings by these two gods with two different names. Uh, so my answer to the viewer was, is that no, there can't be more than one God. And I believe that Jehovah of the Bible is the one true God. All right, the next question is a uh, viewer wants to know what time is dinner and supper in the Bible? Well, I must say when I <laughs> looked at this question, I was a little stumped. Uh, I had no idea where this was coming from or um, what the viewer was trying to get at. And I, I'm still a little unsure as to the direction uh, or what they're wanting to know. I think it is, um, uh, and, and again, my answer is going to be pretty much speculation, but the basic answer is the Bible doesn't have a definitive time for supper and dinner, and that's set by the culture you live in and, and all of that. Now, um, I think what they're trying to get at is when Jesus established uh, the Lord's Supper, he was partaking of the Passover feast, and he took of that Passover meal, and he, and he made it into a meal with a different meaning. He said, when you drink of this cup, uh, you do this in remembrance of me. Um, and when you eat of this bread, you remember my body, which was given for you. And so he took a, a, a feast and a meal that they attached significant meaning to uh, the Jews as they uh, ex went through their exodus from Egypt. And then he transformed uh, that meaning from exodus uh, into a new kind of exodus, but it was the escape from sin that came only by the way of Christ. Um, in Exodus 12, the scripture tells us that the Passover was to be taken in the evening and the nighttime. And so this person may be reading a little more into it, is saying, well, you know, should we only take the Lord's Supper at, a, at this time, the evening or the nighttime? Uh, but no precise hour of the day is uh, uh, commanded or even inferred into that. Any time, I suppose, on the first day of the week is is just fine. I know personally I've taken of it, uh, you know, 10.30 in the morning, uh, 6 in the evening, uh, all different times across the day. I don't think that is a, uh, a big, important thing. Uh, and I'll credit this one. Steve gave this one to me, all-knowing all guy that he is. In Genesis 43:16, and this is not related to my answer at all, but it says, "When Joseph saw Benjamin with him, he said, "Take this." He said to the steward of his house, "Take these men to my house, slaughter an animal, and prepare a meal. They are to eat with me at noon." 
So there's an example where they ate at noon, and if you if you want to take that. But as far as the Lord's Supper goes, there's no speci specific stipulation. Let's look at Matthew chapter 26, verses 19 through 20. Uh, which is where we can read about Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper together. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. So that's as close as it gives to us as, uh, as to when the first Lord's Supper was taken. But <laughs> All righty. You made that one way too hard. Yeah. The guy just right. wanted to know when to eat lunch and dinner. Okay. You know? Noon and six, I guess. <laughs> No, noon and five. Noon and five? Well, no, it probably depends on your I, age. I, probably <laughs> depends on your how your mama raised you. Well, that's when, true. When dinner yeah. time yeah, was. Yeah, that's true. Or whether you even call it dinner or supper. That right. really depends that's, on your that's age. That's the deep theological question. Right there. <laughs> oh, well, let's, let's get into another one here. A uh, viewer wants, to know, wants me to explain the history of the four blood moons. Uh, oh, my. Uh, so, some of you may have heard about that, may have read some books about it or seen it on the, uh, some TV preachers are talking about the four blood moons uh, this year, 2015. Uh, so let me show you the one verse that kind of starts all of the discussion. Uh, Joel chapter 2 and verse 31 says it has this prophecy. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Okay, so a frightening, kind of scary prophecy there uh, that the sun's going to go dark and the moon will turn to blood before the coming of the day of the Lord. Well, number one, there's lots of coming of the days of the Lord, a uh, number of judgments on Israel and uh, in, in the Bible called the day of the Lord, but we won't get into that. Uh, from that verse, I believe one fellow wrote a book and then some people have kind of seized on it. I think John Hagee is the most popular one or most famous one that's talking a lot about blood moons this year. Uh, and what they've found, or one fellow found, is that in 2014 and 2015, uh, there's going to be a number of solar uh, lunar eclipses and a couple of solar eclipses that are real close or on the days of Passover and some other Jewish festivals. Uh, so they put that all together and there are going to be so many eclipses around Jewish special days that this is probably what Joel was talking about and we're getting real close to Jesus coming back in the day of the Lord and, and all of that. So a lot of people interested and it is kind of exciting and interesting to think about. Uh, but I think they've made a way too much deal out of it and I'm not a astronomy expert or anything, but I did a little reading on it. And let me show you this picture of why we call it a blood moon. Uh, when the earth and the moon and the sun all line up like this, we know we get a lunar, or, yeah, lunar eclipse. Uh, the moon doesn't get any light reflected off of it because the earth is in the way. And the different light frequencies uh, the red is the longest one and gets out closer there, so that's what the moon usually looks like. Most eclipses uh, are kind of reddish looking. There are other colors and it depends how everything's lined up and whether it's a total eclipse and all that. Uh, but So a blood moon is not that unusual. In fact, it's the usual kind of lunar eclipse color. Uh, the other thing I found is that lunar eclipses are not that unusual. There are going to be 85 of them this century. 
So that's almost one every year. The farthest apart any of them are is three years. So lunar eclipses happen all the time. Uh, and I also found out that when these things are happening, next last year and this, hardly anybody can see them. Uh, one of the eclipses that Hagee and the others are making such a big deal out of, uh, if it's not cloudy, maybe 50,000 people will be able to see it. It, it goes across the ocean and uh, hardly anybody lives on a few islands out there. So uh, it, it's not like God is showing us everything in these eclipses. So uh, my conclusion is not really that big a deal. It's kind of interesting, but it does happen every few hundred years what's going on now. Uh, it's like all people figuring out when Jesus is coming back, uh, they're wrong. <laughs> Jesus said nobody knows and nobody will know. So kind of a frightening, scary verse and it makes people really get excited. And I guess if they turn their attention to Jesus, that's a good thing. Uh, but I don't think it predicts anything about His coming. So that's, that's what the blood moons are and probably enough on that. We take just a moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, we like to mention a few each week that support us. And today let's talk about the home church of Know Your Bible, uh, the Northside Church of Christ right here in Wichita, Kansas, where we uh, make, produce the show and send it out to all the different market areas. If you're ever in Wichita or uh, passing through Sunday morning, stop in and see us sometime. 10 o'clock worship, uh, we'd be glad to meet you and uh, find out you watch the program. But anywhere you are in the market areas, find a Church of Christ near you and drop in sometime. Tell them thank you for keeping us on the air. All right, Toby, your turn. A viewer asked the question, is it okay to play lotto or buying a scratch ticket? Well, you're not going to find a verse in the Bible that specifically prohibits that. And so some people say, well, it's all right and all that. The, the question when you don't have a verse directly dealing with something, does it violate any scriptural principles? And gambling <coughs> definitely violates several scriptural principles. Uh, one is taking advantage of the poor, uh, which is largely who the, the lotto and, and ticket games uh, appeal to. You look that up by zip code. And uh, it's just where most of those things are bought. Well, in order for anybody to win, all those people have to buy it. So you're taking advantage of them, uh, taking advantage of the, the naive. I have a four-year-old daughter, and I could say, hey, Grace, uh, tell you what, I've got uh, two quarters here, and two is more than one. How about you give me one dollar? Well, she'd think that would be pretty good, pretty good trade, two for one. But see, I'm taking advantage of her because she's naive and she doesn't know any better. Uh, poor financial stewardship, uh, the, the odds of winning are so astronomically small that uh, it's just not good to take the resources that God has given you and put it on that. Uh, and the main one, I think, is you're trying to get something for nothing, and that's greed. And Jesus warned very strongly against greed. In fact, one of the bigger topics he talked about, let's look at Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He said, then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So some scriptural principles for folks who are thinking about playing scratch tickets to think about as they, as they uh, proceed. But <laughs> we'll find a verse, but uh, need to think about those yep. principles. Yep, not a very good deal. Not very good odds. <laughs> Let's make sure we get our trivia question answered today. See if you had the right answer. How old was Jesus when he started his ministry? And Luke tells us specifically that when he started, he was about 30. So about 30 years old. Uh, we assume he worked as a carpenter for the first 
29 years, and then when he was about 30, uh, went out and hit the road and started preaching. We're glad you've been with us today. Uh, we're going to have more questions of yours next week, so we invite you to be back then. Until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.